Welcome back to another edition of Are You a Robot? This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest challenges that stem from AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing that is by gathering the brightest and best minds in their respective fields, whether that is a machine learning researcher, an AI ethicist, or a lawyer, a government official, you name it. We're trying to get them all on here to talk to us about AI and the ethical related issues that come with it. So we do not finish the conversation here. Please, if you enjoy anything that you hear, jump onto our Slack community. You can find a link to that below in the description and introduce yourself. Let us know what you're working on, how you see the world, what you think is an important topic that we should be covering when it comes to AI ethics. Last but not least, for all of those people out there who have been listening from the start, you know that Ethics Grade is our sponsor. They are doing a phenomenal job. I really want to thank them for keeping this show in business, as we could say. And if you don't know who Ethics Grade are, you can check them out in the link below. They're an ESG benchmarking firm. So they are specifically targeting or looking at the ethical implications that companies have around their AI programs. Right now, they launched a cohort of data with all of the different ethical benchmarks or ratings of all of these big companies that you have heard of, like TikTok or Twitter. And you can compare these companies to see how their AI ethics programs match up against one another. So you can see what Amazon is doing and how they compare, what kind of grade they got compared to Alibaba or Microsoft. So if you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to click the link below, have a little play on their website, see which companies are doing AI ethics right and which ones could use a little more help. That being said, let's jump into the conversation now with Stefan. Are you a robot? Stefan, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm excited to talk about what you've been doing with the AI Economist. I think it would probably be useful for those listeners out there if you could give us a bit of background on how you got into tech and how you find yourself where you are right now doing this ML research. Yeah, that's a great question. I actually studied physics and math in undergrad. I was always um, fascinated by how the world works, um, you know, thinking about this big and the small. And after a number of years uh, studying physics, um, I basically um, got really interested in, in how our brain works and how intelligence works. And so I made a switch. Um, you know, studied, um, I basically uh, started to talk to several people who worked in machine learning and one of them became my uh, PhD advisor. And uh, I was sort of fascinated by like the, the speed at which you can uh, try new things and test ideas. Um, uh, because in physics, uh, I used to study theories. 
right? And people were talking about black holes and, and the Big Bang. And it turns out you can't have two Big Bangs uh, just like, you know, as a snap of your fingers. But uh, my PC advisor basically gave me a data set um, with um, basically recordings of the NBA, the, the American Basketball League. And so, you know, I would look at my computer and then you would basically be able to animate, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, for instance, uh, or, well, you know, we, I, 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 I was pretty sure he was in somewhere in there. Um, and, 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 you know, the fascinating thing about, about AI and tech is that, um, for me, the, it combines this mathematical rigor that you have to bring to the research, but also you can try out and, and develop things really quickly. And, hmm. um, yeah. And like, I think that combination is really compelling and, and, yeah, that's that's how I got basically fascinated by by this field. Hmm. So the iteration, the quick iteration, and the ability to really make an impact on things, besides or try to understand things uh, that are less time consuming than a Big Bang, I could see the <laughs> appetite there for for trying to take on some of these problems. Now let's shift over to what exactly is the tax dilemma that you speak about? What is this problem that you're trying to solve? Right. Yeah. So um, taxation is uh, a lot about um, making a decision on a certain trade-off in society. So the idea is that um, we as a society need to balance things like equality and productivity um, and other metrics uh, that you might care about. And so uh, taxation is one way in which the government can raise funds um, and those funds can be used to, to uh, invest in society, to subsidize um, infrastructure projects or to subsidize uh, households directly. Um, and so uh, taxation is a really important tool in, in which we can try to um, make society better. Um, but at the same time, the, the problem is that uh, of any policy, including taxation, is that you need to understand how people respond to it. Um, not just people, how all, all kinds of, you know, any, any actor in the economy, how, how they respond to uh, taxation and change in taxation. And so the dilemma is that you can't tax too high, you can't tax too low. Um, and, and so the question in, 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 in a lot of these problems is really to understand what the effect is of too high of taxation or too low of taxation, um, because people are going to respond in very complicated ways. And, mm. and so that's the dilemma for um, anyone who studies that problem. So can you talk about these different complications that come up and how you found out about them? How do you discover the different ways that people react to different taxation? Is it just, well, I'll let you explain it. <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's one of the central questions. Um, so so in, our, in our research, um, we basically use this simulation of an economy. Uh, and in this simulation, there are AI agents. Um, and these AI agents are, are working. 
uh, they're making money. So that's just like in the real world. And, um, and the idea is that all these uh, agents, they try to be as happy as possible in this world, right? So, um, and so each of these agents has this balance uh, between uh, you know, making money, but also having to work for it. Um, and there, there are differences between these agents. So not every agent uh, makes the same amount of money for the work that they do um, or for the type of work they do. So there are whole different types of work in the simulation. Um, and so, uh, what you can see is that, like, um, when we when we when we study this problem of taxation, uh, what the AI system is doing is saying, "Well, I have this objective of of trying to maximize some combination of equality and productivity in this world, um, and I, I can achieve that by by using taxation." Um, and then, so all these AI agents in this world who are working. Uh, they are going to experience different levels of, of taxation. And then um, every AI agent individually can then decide, for instance, what kind of job they want to do or how much, how much they want to work. Um, and this is, this is similar to in the real world because if you tax people too much, for instance, then your, your hourly wage goes down. And so you might be less incentivized to work an extra hour, for instance. Um, and, and what this setup allows us to do is that you're using the simulation of these AI agents who experience all these different um, taxation systems. And then there's this outer um, sort of system where uh, that system is, is observing how the economy evolves. And then based on that, it tries to figure out like what the optimal um, tax policy is. Mm. And if I understood correctly while reading the paper, it's that you did many of these simulations. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's the power of this computational approach. Um, we can simulate these, these economies, uh, you know, you can put on a thousand simulations in parallel, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's, it's kind of like the, the multiverse, you know, if you, if you watch Marvel, the Avengers, right. It's like many worlds in parallel and in every world, there's a different, slightly different future that's playing out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the system as a whole can compare all these different universes and say, okay, you know, which one seems to be better, which one seems to be a bit worse. Um, and then based on that, we're going to uh, figure out what the best um, tax policy is. What are you optimizing for? How do you know one is better or worse? Like what does better mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the beauty of the this this framework is that it's agnostic to the objectives that the government has. So as a, as a human designer, um, you can set that objective. And uh, in fact, we don't say what's better or what's worse. Um, equality and productivity are uh, interesting because it really gets at the heart of uh, what economists would, would sort of consider one of the big problems basically in um Taxation. There are different ways of, of framing it, but um, again, it's about this tension between uh, taxing people too much or too little. Um, and so, for us, that you know, if we look at the economics literature, that's a very natural way of, of framing the objective. But um, there are different ways in which you can combine equality and productivity. So, for instance, you could say, "I care equally about both." Mm-hmm. Or you could say I care a little bit more about productivity, a little bit less about equality, 
or vice versa. And in our work, we don't say anything about what's better, what's, what's not. That's, that's more of a social normative um, yeah, problem. And we don't, we don't say anything about that. And this is to be used, like these simulations are meant to be used by policymakers to help them guide their decisions? Or do you foresee one day that it completely takes over and it is the policymaker? No, I don't foresee it completely taking over. Uh, it's definitely not now. The current <laughs> economic stimulation looks more like Pokemon than, than an actual world. Um, so we are AR, we are researchers. We focused a lot on the, uh, the learning problem because the, the, you know, the, the meat of the, the, the science that we've done is really to figure out how, uh, the learning works in this world where, uh, you know, all these individual agents are, are learning to adapt to, um, the new economic situation and the government is, is learning as well. So, so for now, I would see this more as a, uh, a proof of concept of, of this, the fact that this learning problem is feasible, that you can actually solve it uh, with the tools that we have. Um, perhaps in the far future, as the simulations become more realistic, it can become a, a guidance tool or some sort of, one way to think about it is that it's a little bit like a, a weather forecast, right? Where you can, can sort of see a little bit into the future and say, what if we had, what if we do this? What does like a plausible future look like? Um, but it, it's never going to completely replace people, I would say, because for instance, the fact that the objectives are free, right? Means that people need to decide how this framework is used, right? So uh, I don't foresee this completely replacing people. Hmm. Um, so, Let's talk for a minute about how you even came to this problem. How did you decide that this was something that you wanted to work on? Yeah, um, it's it's always interesting to just look back. Um, and it's tempting to say that, that one day there was a magic light bulb or something like that that <laughs> appeared. But in reality, it, it was a much more organic process. Um, so after my PhD, I became, I was, I mentioned that I, I, in the start of my PhD, I worked on this basketball data. Mm-hmm. And one of the fascinating things about that is, is that, um, this, you know, this basketball data captured teamwork because it had, you know, uh, two teams of five players, um, trying to coordinate, um, trying to work together. And so one of the big questions is that, um, you know, the fact that you have, that we live in a world with other people, right? It points to the fact that intelligence um, evolved partially because it is in an environment where it has to interact with other, um, with other people and other, other, all of other kinds of entities. So uh, I basically after my PhD started, kept working on that. And um, there are a lot of um, sort of algorithmic problems um, that that you can frame within the within the setting of having uh, multiple AI agents, and so um, initially we I didn't we didn't really talk about economics, um, 
we were I, I was more interested in in sort of how, for instance, things like teamwork emerge from a, a collection of AI agents uh, learning together. Um, and what, what the interesting thing about that is, is that, you know, it sort of gets back to this question of like, what is the objective, right? Like what, what, um, what, what is, what, what is the objective? And if you think about how it, it goes back to the core of like how people, uh, you know, your objective and my objective, right? Um, what do you want out of life basically, right? What makes you happy? Um, because why, why would we even work together as, as a team, right? Or why would people band together in like a village, for instance? And so, um, it became clear after a while that like, it's, it's basically about, um, incentives. The question is, uh, what is the incentive for you to work? Uh, what's the incentive for you to go on vacation? Uh, what's the incentive for you to be a good person? Right. And, um, and when we realized that, okay, well, it's about finding the right incentives in a way that that's basically one way to, um, uh, you know, motivate or stimulate teamwork. Um, that got us into economics because uh, then the question was, how do you design the incentives for this collection of AI agents such that they uh, work together well, right? Or such that, you know, society is better off. And so at some point, uh, the, the, oh, the notion, like the light bulb, I guess, if there was a light bulb moment, was that, okay, incentive design is actually what a large part of economics is all about because in economics, right, people talk a lot about like, you know, um, what are the right incentives? How do we incentivize, uh, you know, people, companies to um, do certain things? And um, and that got us into this like sort of um, mode of like researching. Okay, well, what is known in economics about uh, this this uh, incentives design in a world where everyone's kind of being strategic, where where you know where you have these AI agents. And it turns out that, that economics actually as a field does not really use AI. Mm -hmm. It hardly uses AI today for many reasons. Um, and so we discovered actually there's this really exciting opportunity to bring these tools from AI into the field of economics because uh, one thing, for instance, is that these simulations in which we have these AI agents that are being strategic, that feel the same uh, drive to work or drive to not work, to go on vacation. Um, that's the kind of like behavioral model that uh, economics lacks, right? The, mm -hmm. um, and and the fact that we can like do these kinds of analyses much faster in a much richer way. Um, that's we we actually sort of stumbled <laughs> into seeing that this is actually a really exciting research opportunity and really a chance to uh, bring these two fields together uh, more than before. So talk to me about other areas you feel this could be applied, whether that's within economics or just in the broader terms of how you can take this technology or these incentives as you speak about and apply them to other hard problems. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a really interesting open-ended uh, setting. You know, one of the... Um, one of the other domains that, that has come up uh, that I've not worked on, but it's really uh, education. Um, mm. so, so if you think about it, like how do you, uh, when a teacher is in front of a classroom of, of kids or running a MOOC, right, these days, I guess, or you know, an online class, um, a lot about it is like, you know, how do you 
make sure that a student learns, um, you know, math or, or, or English or French, um, how, how does that work? Right? Like, um, and if you think about it, a lot about that is, it's really tricky because you have to understand, um, what, what is the skill level of this student right now, right? Uh, what kind of exercises or explanations do you need to give to the student to make sure that um, the student will, will, um, uh, will improve? Uh, and uh, as a teacher, right, like you're basically trying to design this curriculum and personalize it to a student. And at the same time, the student is learning and obviously not every student wants to sit in this class all day so hopefully it doesn't take like, you know, uh, 10 hours a day to, to get through the curriculum. And so um, actually the student teacher relationship is actually one that's um, actually very similar to, to, you know, people in the government, if you will, to some extent. Um, I'm not making any sort of philosophical analogies here. I'm just saying that mechanically uh, the idea is that the teacher is trying to be smart about how the curriculum uh, works. And then the student is trying to be smart in terms of improving itself and, you know, uh, also be having enough time to play around with, with their, with their buddies. So um, that's another area where you can see that this incentive design and curriculum design is, is uh, useful, potentially useful in the future. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's something that you hear AI being thrown around a lot when it comes to education but not in this way. You see a lot of AI, okay, it helps you because it will give you maybe the best way that you can learn or through these Zoom calls, you have some kind of AI agent that's there helping you along, but not in a way that's talking about the incentives and how we can help teachers create better curriculums that incentivize the students in a way that they learn and it maximizes their potential. So I like that. Uh, I like the way that you think about that. Are there any other applications that you've thought about? Um, you know, the, the, there are applications around, um, um, I mean, there's me sort of brainstorming, but, uh, mm -hmm. I, I haven't thought a lot about other, like actually working on applications right now, but you could imagine that, um, for instance, if you, if you design a highway system, um, and in the future, your future probably will have a lot of self-driving cars. Um, that's actually another example of such a system. Again, like everyone's driving in their car and, and you try to avoid traffic jams. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, there's this interesting problem. Like I lived in LA actually for, for five years and anyone who's from LA, right? Like people will talk about, uh, not the weather, but they're going to talk about, uh, cause what is like typically very nice in LA, but they're going to talk about the highway and like, mm -hmm. you know, Oh, it was very busy in the one one but today, you know, the traffic jam only lasted for 10 minutes instead of 15 minutes. And the, the interesting thing there is, is that, um, the, again, there's like two levels really in the system, right? And so just like there were students and teachers, taxpayers and the government, um, in, in traffic, there's people who are driving in their cars. And so, uh, people obviously want to try to avoid traffic jams. We use apps like Waze and, and 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of other apps that can help you try to avoid uh, traffic, right? Um, and at the same time, you know, there's there might be uh, a traffic controller or a local, um, I'm not sure how you call these the authorities, but somebody thinks about where to build new roads, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Somebody thinks about where to build new highways or where to expand uh, highways. And um, yeah, obviously that's a choice. Yeah, you have a planner who who basically tries to figure out, okay, assuming that people are going to behave in such and such a way, um, here's, a, here's like the best place to, um, um, you know, improve and expand the infrastructure. Um, that could be another example where, again, you have this, this two-level um, uh, structure uh, or relationship between, between individual car drivers and, and some traffic planner. So can you talk to me about these two levels that you're, you're speaking of? Have you tried to, and again, I'm brainstorming with you right here. Have you looked at if there's more than two levels, if you can make an effect or does the complexity just get out of control? And I don't even know what a a specific use case for that would be, but Right now, you've been speaking a lot about use cases that have two levels, right? Maybe there is a use mm-hmm. case that you've thought about bringing another level on top of it where there's another oversight or another something that is involved and is a stakeholder in this. And would or have you thought about that? Yeah, um, it's something that, that, I've, that we've been thinking about. And, and I think if you... Um, yeah, even even if you just extend this this notion of government, there's different um, state level, federal level, mm-hmm. uh, local level government in the U.S. Um, and so you can think about that as multiple levels. Um, these these um, these authorities all interact with each other. Um, and yeah, going back to the education setting, um, you have multiple teachers as well, right? So um, multiple teachers for different um, types of classes or, or uh, courses, um, uh, you have, um, you know, you, you have higher you know, teachers on, among different, in different grades. Um, yeah. And so, so in, in reality, it's uh, rarely the case that you just have one teacher, right, or, or one government. Um, so that's one way in which you can think about extending it or in, the way in which extensions of this, this multi-level, um, this hierarchy makes sense. Um, and if you think about the real world, there, there's, um, there's more than just taxpayers in the government, right? Yeah. So there, there are companies, there's utility companies, there's, um, regulators, there's just many, many actors in, in reality, what we have is a really complex network, right? Um, of, of, of actors that all are incentivized to do one thing or another. Mm. Um, and a lot of social psychology basically, uh, it's, it's all about that, right? Like, uh, social networks are group of friends, friends. Um, we all have like this, this, um, interesting, like web of relationships around us. Um, that's very different from, from what we've been talking about, but, Again, you can imagine that like um, we are inf- influencing each other's incentives. Um, for instance, like if I if I see a picture of somebody 
on social media and that that person is on vacation, right? Um, it sort of triggers the spot in me that, oh, maybe I also want to go on vacation. And now I'm actually less incentivized to work and I'm more incentivized to go book a trip to so, like a sunny yeah. beach somewhere. Um, so, so the interesting thing is that, that um, yeah, going back to this question of like, what is intelligence really? And a big part of that story is, is how our behavior influences other people's behavior, right? So, so in, in reality, like, you know, because we are all sort of interconnected that way, um, I think the idea of multi-level learning or uh, hierarchical learning, that, that is a very powerful concept. And it's, it's something that, uh, in fact, like, if you, if you look at the scientific literature, it's one of these problems that is extremely hard to analyze. Um, and, and so I think that that is going to be something like a, the new frontier, basically, when it comes to, um, you know, if we think about, you know, five to 10 years ahead, like where, what are the kinds of phenomena that, that would be interesting to study with this new technology? It is, I think that that sort of um, social complexity or, or multi-agent complexity is something that's going to uh, be more and more interesting to, to study. Yeah, lots to unpack there. You make so many valid points, especially this idea of how we are interconnected and we are influencing each other. How can you build a model or how can you create some kind of AI or machine learning that takes that into account and does it in a way that is sim that is mirroring what we do as humans? So that moving forward is is a very interesting problem to study. There's something that I got to ask. This AI economics problem that you've been working on, it has nothing to do with the bottom line of Salesforce. What, can you explain how Salesforce is involved in this and why they told you or they allow you to go and work on this kind of stuff for your research? Yeah, so Salesforce is a company that um, uh, basically does uh, business uh, for, uh, you know, to, to service customers, um, but also to, to improve society, right? So one, of, one thing that distinguishes Salesforce from a lot of other companies is that it very explicitly um, has uh, societal benefit as a, as a strong value in the company. Um, and so um, in the AI research team, what that means is that um, part of the team you know, that I'm part of, um, we do fundamental research where we believe it will uh, help improve society. Um, it also improves just the science of, of machine learning. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, that, that is part of um, the way in which um, yeah, Salesforce contributes to that to that um, development, um, and and a lot of a lot of the um, that research for that reason is is um, we we hope to show or to bring interesting ideas into the world where we um, where we where we believe it will benefit society um, in the long run as well. So, talk to me about some potential downfalls with this model or this AI that you've created? What are some things that aren't 
necessarily like you know that they're wrong, but it still is a great leap forward what you've done, what you've been able to show. It's just that, yeah, we still need to work on this part. Yeah. Um, one thing that that is, um, um, uh, one thing that that is still something that's active research is uh, notions of explainability. Mm. Um, and um, I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's something that um, is right now because we use uh, neural networks. And um, neural networks are a very powerful model um, because they can, for instance, emulate this human behavior. Uh, but because they are complex, it's also harder to explain sometimes uh, what the cost-effect relationship is between their behavior, right? So you might ask, like, why did this neural network respond in such and such a way? Um, so... I think that one one very good opportunity for the future is to do more analysis on on this this explainability factor, right? So um, that that would make that would make the uh, policy behavior more interpretable. Um, and another yeah, another thing is is the simulation, right? The simulation is very simple. Um, and that's okay because we're again we're focused on this computational problem. But uh, moving forward, you know, I think a big question is like, how do you build a, a better simulation? What is required for that? Um, mm -hmm. and, and when is it enough? Right? Because it's for for many reasons that it's probably um, very unlikely that you're going to have a perfect recreation of the world. So so one of the questions is like, uh, how do you ensure that your simulation is good enough? Um, and what does that even mean? Um, I think that that's, that's one of these, that's one of those questions that are just inherent to the problem. And I think it's really important to pay a lot of attention to that kind of question. Like, um, yeah. So those are two things that I would think about. So that question of how do you, how do you know when it's good enough? What are some answers that you've thrown around. I imagine you talk about this quite a bit with your colleagues. Yeah, one thing that is super important to us is that um, it in, includes notions of fairness um, in the future. So um, if we're really talking about simulating a real economy with all its diversity, the diversity has to be represented, right, uh, in, in a simulation. Um, so that that is that is very important to us. Um, so when I say good enough, it means that the simulation is fair. Um, um, the simulation also has to be accurate, so it has to capture enough of the complexity of a real economy that matter for the policy problem that you're interested in. Um, so just to give an example of that, let's say that you're really interested in, in taxation uh, of incomes. Um, does it matter that the sun went up every day? It's probably less important than some other, you know, economic uh, things that are going on. Mm -hmm. So, so they're, 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 I think when, when you build these kinds of simulations, they can be really useful. But um, there's also a challenge because um, you're trying to recreate this, this 
uh, web of complexity and that requires a lot of new science uh, that, that you need to do in order to understand how to, how to capture that complexity in the right way. Um, and I think that's really exciting, but it also, uh, you know, that, that's kind of like what Spider-Man says, right? Like great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and with, with great, like, complexity comes great responsibility, I would say. That's, that's sort of the analogy I would make there. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that, I think that that's where uh, really responsible research uh, really has to shine. So talking about the complexity of this, do you feel that this could be something that is used on a global scale or is it more on a micro scale? I think it could be used at a global scale uh, in the future. I think certainly that is one of the uh, compelling use cases to give some insight in uh, what is actually a very, very, you know, for many reasons, a very tricky problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it could be used at the local level as well. Um, it could be used for all kinds of other problems. I, there's no real limitation in that sense to, to this framework. Um, but, but it does require a certain maturity when it comes to our understanding of, of the problem. Um, it comes with a sense of maturity, uh, for instance, of the data that you uh, might use to inform such a simulation or to inform future models. So it's, it's a, um, I, I think that, yeah, like there, there's, a limit, there's a limitation in that sense, but, but maturity is required. And speaking of the data that you're using, can you walk us through what that data is? And I, I continue to think this is a little bit off topic on that question, but I keep thinking about the idea of how when you are taking an action on something that a machine learning model is predicting, you're influencing that action, right? Or you're influencing that machine learning model in a way that like right now we could use a a simple uh, churn prediction. And so a company that is taking an action when they get a prediction from a machine learning model saying, hey, this customer is probably going to churn, then the company's not going to sit back and say, okay, let them, let them churn. They're going to take that action. And I think about how with this, it's a little bit like that. Like if you were to create these different models and you're going to have people that are taking actions on them, it's always going to be, it's like you're not ever going to see what the actual outcome of these predictions are or am I totally mistaken on that? Right. I I think that if what you're describing is that in the real world, you don't see all the alternatives, right? Um, So what if I, what if I've gone, what if I've gone left instead of right uh, this morning at the intersection, Mm -hmm. uh, what would have happened? Right. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's one of the challenges. That if if you basically collect historical data, um, then you're not going to see all the alternatives in that data, um, and that's that's one of the scientific challenges um, of of you know of, of in machine learning as well. Is that how do you 
build simulations that can tell you what that alternative would have looked like, hmm. right? So if in a way, the the one of the big um, big advantages of simulations is that they offer a sort of what if what if uh, analysis, right? Um, but but you have to understand when that what if analysis is going to be uh, correct or or you know close to being correct and like if it's close to being correct what is the, the what is the error that you're making um that that is that is something that that is uh, also related to causal analysis for instance the, where people do a lot of like what if analysis i would say that that's that is also still an area of research but i think that that, that is where uh, hopefully in the future, if we understand this like better and better, that uh, we can make these simulations better and better. And, and I think it gets to exactly the problem that you're getting at, is that um, these simulations can offer this view on alternatives. And then maybe they can offer it even before you take a new decision. Mm-hmm. Right? And that could actually inform that decision that you then uh, take even before you actually take it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that was a little bit of a tangent, but let's get back to that other question that I had around. Can you give me an idea of how you're training this? What data are you using to actually create these uh, these machine learning models? Yeah, so for the current simulation, the, we don't use any real data. It's purely a uh, artificial construct. Um, so, you know, um, and for for some for some listeners who haven't seen the simulation, it it basically is this two dimensional grid world. I, I, it's almost kind of like Pokemon, where the, the, these characters run left, right, up, down, and they they can they can uh, build houses. They collect some wooden stone, but all these things are programmed into the simulation without using any real world data. Uh, again, because we we focus mostly on this two level learning problem, um, and so yeah, the, the only data, if you will, is just generated purely from these these simulation rules, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Later on, do you feel like you're going to start introducing data and? I just think about the complexity that you spoke about earlier and how difficult it will be to recognize what the real driving factors for each of these agents could be. Because uh, right now it seems it seems like the, the driving factor is, okay, I, I want to work to get money, right? And if I have too much taxation and I don't get a lot of money, then I'm going to not work. That's the simplified storyline, I guess. But in real life, it's much different. And maybe I work and I know I'm going to get taxed, but then I find a loophole and, or, I, or I send it offshore to my offshore shell account and I figure out, well, now I'm not going to get taxed as much so I can uh, not worry about that. Or, or like you said, there's so many other agents that are in play. There's the energy company, there's the different levels of government that are taxing. So it's so complex. How do you even begin to bring real world data into a problem like this? Yeah, uh, I think that you got to start small. That's, that's what I would typically recommend. Um, uh, I, I think that there is this uh, bootstrap 
um, process that most likely will be very helpful. Um, I, I think that like the, the, the starting point would be to find some economic process uh, or interaction where um, you can you know, e easily isolate it uh, or isolate it in a reasonable way. Um, um, and then the second thing is to, um, I, I would say that, that a part of the story as well is that, um, sort of collecting data in a responsible way about these kinds of processes is also something that, um, requires some, some infrastructure maturity, right? Not every organization, um, collects data like that. Um, um, and so, I think if you're if you're a scientist, um, it's important I think to um, increase the complexity a little bit of the process, or or look at look at uh, maybe income taxation in a in a small place, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. or or um, if you if you're interested in education, look at a, a single school where you can look at the uh, student teacher relationship, and um, yeah, and, and, and people have done um, studies about education, uh, educational skill attainment, for instance. So people have done studies like that before, but they might not have really done so with this, this two-level learning uh, in a, in, as a context, right? Um, so, I think, so I think a part of it is, again, start small, isolate a, an interesting phenomenon, um, Think about like what the types of data are that you would need for uh, an informed simulation or an informed two-level learning setup, um, and then try to build up from there uh, and demonstrate that that it's that it's useful. Um, yeah, before we start talking about talking about the, the whole U.S. as <laughs> with all its complexity or, or the whole world with all its complexity as a whole, that's, that's probably too much too soon. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. In Spanish, they say poco a poco. It's slowly, slowly, and you don't need to try and eat the whole cake in one bite. <laughs> so what are some next steps for this project? Are you going to continue with that? Are you going to start bringing in real data? Or is there another challenge that you'd like to ch tackle before that? Yeah, certainly we, we have a number of plans. I, I, there, I can't talk about all of them in, in public. Uh, mm -hmm. But certainly we, we are thinking about how to, uh, how to demonstrate the, the usefulness of this, of this framework. Um, certainly certainly um, uh, we're very interested in, in sort of uh, scaling it up, for instance, that that's one sort of general trend, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, if to for, for things like this to be useful uh, skill very likely is is, uh, is something that would be important um, and you know we also still do a lot of work on on just the reinforcement learning algorithms that we use um, so reinforcement learning is this this process of, of training these AI agents and um, part of, part of, uh, you know, we are primarily AI researchers and then we are learning a little bit about e economics. Um, but we still have a very, um, you know, strong interest in sort of, you know, sort of advancing these core algorithms that we're using to, to learn. Um, 
and just as an example, one, one big, um, one big question is like, you know, how efficient are these algorithms? How much experience do they need? Right? Like in a multiverse, how many simulations do you need to run in parallel? Do I need a thousand? Do I need a million? Uh, how long do these uh, universes run for? Um, and so, uh, as we, as, as you think about the real world, um, Right, like obviously, we hope that you can be as efficient as possible with the number of simulations and how long they run for. Um, but that goes hand in hand with making the actual learning algorithms more efficient and um, and like how they and, and sort of part of the question that we didn't really talk about, but um, like the the learning algorithm tries to improve the policy, right? But uh-huh. You know, can you sort of make sure that you're, every time you improve, you improve by a big margin, right? Um, and so um, those are the kinds of questions that we're also very interested in, sort of just developing these learning algorithms and making sure that, um, that they can be run efficiently and that they learn efficiently. It's fascinating stuff. I appreciate you coming on here and talking to me about it. I have one last question for you, then I'll let you go get back to this incredible AI economy problem, challenge, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, Stefan, are you a robot? Who knows, maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> You've come to teach us a thing or two about it. huh? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you coming on here and explaining all of this. It's been super insightful and I've learned a ton about how you are approaching these problems, why you're approaching them and where you're going next. So I can't thank you enough. Have a great day, man. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, hosting this podcast and having me. Uh, It was a great pleasure to talk to you about this. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much. 